Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it is Friday, November 10th. Good God. November 10th, 2023. Uh, as I also speak, all hell is breaking loose in New York with this federal investigation into Mayor Eric Adams, which I will not be discussing uh, on today's show in any way, but this is just my way of saying this is what's happening in the world as I begin to have this conversation with my distinguished guest. Uh, and uh, my distinguished, distinguished guest and I will not be talking about Eric Adams, but I can guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, in the next few days, we'll be talking about Eric Adams and the, all those New Yorkers who think they're so superior to Chicago. This is, this is the inner Chicago in me. This is like the embarrassment. I'm going to try to be like a Chicago one who's always insecure about our relationship with New York. Oh, New York, you think you're so cool with your little mayor. Now nah, he's in trouble. Our mayor's not in trouble. <laughs> this is just the thing, man. There was a story that broke about a week ago. These stories are so dumb. Somebody raided cities and determined Chicago is the most corrupt. I've, I've talked about this on the show. I laugh every time I hear that. Chicago has a lot of characteristics. Uh, my distinguished guest and I had a great conversation about this about two weeks ago, and that show really took off. People loved it. Chicago has a lot of weirdness and char- characteristics uh, that I see as a non-Chicagoan who has lived here among you Chicagoans. You're really weird in a lot of ways, but you're no more corrupt than anyone else, in my humble opinion. Corruption is a human characteristic, a human trait. It exists everywhere, every city, every state, every town, every country. You know, to pretend like there's something special like Chicago, you go to any freaking city or country or town in the United States of America and there's corruption. It's like part of the human's character, you know, and that, but somehow or other like Chicago acts like it's special here. <laughs> and Chicagoans are weird. Sometimes they get proud of it. Oh, now I'm back to how weird you are, Chicago. Only Chicago, they celebrate Al Capone. You know what I mean? I was like, there's the Al Capone Museum. Let's go out. Let's celebrate a gangster. So Chicago does have its own weirdness, ladies and gentlemen. I won't lie. By the way, Al Capone is not even from Chicago. Look it up if you don't believe me. 
Uh, anyway, so uh, New York's making <laughs> its new mayor is up to his eyeballs and problems from the FBI, and I'm now weeping, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's just in some ways. Some ways are all New Yorkers will not pay the price for whatever wrongs he may have done. You know what I'm saying? Here in Chicago, Ed Burke is a corrupt, powerful politician who was allowed to rule for all these years because our mayors were too cowardly to confront him. That's you, Mayor Rahm, and that's you, Mayor Daly. Uh, but, and that's supposed to be like a judgment on all Chicagoans. I didn't, I'm not the one who was shaking down developers for TIF deals on TIF deals. It was, it was Alderman Burke. Why are you blaming me? All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring away a distinguished guest, and we're going to take the deep dive on a whole bunch of issues. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm editorial board member and columnist at the Chicago Sun-Times. That is correct. I'm a proud defender of the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, she's wearing her Chicago hat right now. She is not wearing a hat, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Ramada, so much to talk uh, to you, uh, with you about today. I'm going to start with the de- Republican debate. Um, how do I frame this? So the Republicans had a debate. People in Chicago are focused on the city of Chicago and our uh, politics. And um, people on the left are focused on the, the, the relationship, the connection between the national uh Democratic Party, uh, the state of Israel, and uh, the war in Gaza. Uh, a lot of us have lost sight of the Republican Party. <laughs> it's kind of a big thing to lose sight over. Uh, anyway, but uh, we tend to focus on, um, it's hard to keep track of everything. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so they had a debate, a presidential debate, which was really bizarre this week. Uh, they had it in Miami. Uh, why it was bizarre is that the front runner wasn't there. That, would, of course, would be Donald Trump, who's on trial in four different venues for various corruption cases. So imagine this, ladies and gentlemen. Imagine if the battle for mayor of the city of Chicago, the front runner was Ed Burke. That's essentially what <laughs> the Republicans, they're dedicated. This guy, Burke, Trump's even more corrupt than Burke. He's got four. Uh, criminal cases investigations or at least three or a fourth is a um a civil case anyway um and uh so he's the front runner he he doesn't think he has to go to the republican debate and so the people who are running for second place are battling each other but they're too chicken to go after trump because they know that trump has the allegiance of most of their voters so they're kind of secretly hoping that the democrats bring him down and then they will get the fight to be the nominee. Very bizarre, weird world. Uh, And making it even more bizarre and weird, two Indian Americans uh, are like, would you call them the star attraction, Ramana? They seem to get the most attention from the the debaters uh, in the aftermath, uh, particularly because they fight so much among themselves. And... If the if the consequences weren't so dire, I'd say it's laughably entertaining. It's still kind of laughably entertaining. I think you'll agree. Watching Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy go at it. Um, I need your general thoughts on this before uh, we uh, get into specific details. So take it away, Romana. Yeah, I have, I have to tell you, first of all, that um, among Indian Americans, I mean, I am one of the 
people that have been focused so much on Gaza the last uh, couple weeks and couple days. I have to admit, I'm one of those people. I haven't even been paying attention to any of the Trump-related court hearings. And I know you're the one who pointed out um, that there's stories about the fashion of of those who are appearing <laughs> and I and I have not even half paid attention to it but I, you know I have to tell you you know Ivanka Trump had a fashion line right and I think I think Macy's got rid of it my younger sister Alas actually had a pair of Ivanka Trump shoes and then you know her her reasons for keeping it or at least not getting rid of it right away she was like well you know, culturally in our cultures, like her name's on the bottom of my foot. So I'm kind of like stamping on her every time I walk by. So she, she, she kept him, but I know, I know Macy's got rid of the line and I don't think it, it's, I think, I don't know. It might be, I, I feel like she hasn't done that well since uh, her dad got elected or right before up until he got elected in 2016. So I am one of those people who have been focused so much on Gaza and I um, am not someone who really watches the Republican debates, but I do read like um, bits and pieces from it. And just to tell you how, um, you know, my siblings probably aren't watching the debates either. And but my younger sister did send me a text and said that, oh, Nikki Haley called uh, Vivek um, a scum. So, you know, I, I knew about that. And then, you know, I actually did read uh, Lynn Sweet's uh, write-up uh, a day later. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch some of these people really talk. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's been, like, hit after hit after um, after each Republican debate. And I have to tell you that there are, like, um, either, you know, there's Indian-American publications online or just Indian Americans in general, like, you know, whether it's comedians or whether it's um, observers on Twitter, they they kind of eat up all the Nikki versus Vivek um, discourse. And and just there's a lot of there's a lot of write ups also about them being the two Indian Americans. It's interestingly enough, I just saw a political political article right before um, I jumped on with you. And it was a story about Nikki Haley and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, not written by an Indian. And I don't know, I I looked at it really quick, so I could be wrong, but I feel like he didn't even mention that they were both Indian and like what like their rivalry kind of means. And it it was kind of interesting. He, He kind of focused on age and I'm like, well... I don't know. There's 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 more going on. I mean, it, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, even amongst Indians, um, South Asians in general, like I'm sure if you see me and some of my Indian friends, you think that we're all the same. I'm sure a lot of people will think that. But it's really funny because even amongst Indians, there's so many divisions. There's so many different religious groups. Um, then there's different states. Um, you know, you're talking about Chicago. There's like everybody's so possessive about what state they're from. Like, I mean, Indians, like growing up in the mosque, like they, your, your parents' friends knew what you were like, you know, because they knew where our parents were the way we talk, people can figure out what region our parents are from, like the way we speak, you know, our respective languages. Um, So yeah, like my parents are from the state of Bihar and everybody makes fun of it in India. And uh, they actually had a campaign about it a couple of years ago because it's everybody like there was a time where a lot of people from India, like they wouldn't admit they were from Bihar. Like it was like a stigma. And so nobody would say anything like they they thought people would look down on them. And then they had this whole campaign where like, you know, they had like famous journalists, um, like, you know, models 
and like they're from Bihar and they had it was like this thing saying like I'm from Bihar like you know what I mean it was just kind of this campaign to kind of get rid 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 of that stigma so I'm just saying there's so many Indians have so many divisions among themselves and uh this like this like back and forth between Nikki and Vivek is has been pretty interesting and I personally like a lot of Indians are embarrassed by them um I I can say like my political persuasions um, do not align with theirs. Um, I saw an article in Time Magazine a couple of days ago. People are like, well, even though they um, don't represent um, our values, like certain Indians, they're like, well, the fact that they've made it so far, like it should be a sense of pride. And some of us, the rest, some of us are rolling our eyes and saying that it's kind of um, shameful that they are Indian Americans and are um, Republicans and are saying certain things that, you know, as most of us or some of us as children of immigrants don't really appreciate. So it's been it's been pretty interesting. And and I know you saw the article that I sent you by Sachi Cole for Slate. Um, that was that was a great um, piece about it. And um, I think she hits the nail on the head about how some of us have all met Indians like Vivek. And she mentions how Nikki Haley, because of the way she looks and she doesn't use her full name, like she's, she, you know, she's not a complete, you know, she's a Brown woman, but she is white passing. So she never really talks about her Indian heritage. I think she just recently started doing that um, to come off as like, Hey, I'm this immigrant and I'm a, I'm an immigrant's daughter and I'm a Republican. And Vivek Ramaswamy is more visibly Indian and his name is more visibly Indian. And I think she made some good points about how he is like those Indians so ready to give up their, use their Indianness to say what a lot of white Americans want to say. Or, you know, if he says, you know, he's fully embracing that stuff. And, you know, she also makes a good point um, I'm an Indian Muslim. And she just said, um, as a Hindu, um, their Hindu Americans are more readily embraced than someone like a Muslim would be, or, you know, f- or a black person. And so she, she, she brings on like how a lot of Indian Americans kind of get swept into this, like, oh, let's, let's, let's try to get it be accepted by talking like the way some Americans want us to so- say and want us to talk. So I thought it was a great, I thought it was, I thought it was a good piece. I'm a fan of Sachi Cole. She's a young Canadian journalist. She has a podcast called Scamfluencers with this other young woman's called um, Sarah Haggy, And they're both great. I I, I suggest anybody listen to it. So Sachi writes about being Indian a lot. um, And uh, her pieces are really good. And so when I saw that she wrote about these two, um, (laughs) I definitely, um, I definitely looked up and read it really quick. And, you know, one of the, um, I guess, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy basically had uh, mentioned how Nikki Haley, like, chastised him or made fun of him for using TikTok. And then he said, basically, like, well, if you're going to, like, make fun of me, your daughter's the one who's on it also. So maybe you should be preaching to your daughter. And then she got, Nikki Haley got upset and said, basically, like, you know, keep my daughter's name out of your mouth kind of thing it's kind of like the whole will smith chris rock debacle and then um and then he she basically said you're just scum and i I think i think vivek ramaswamy has like referred to like nikki haley as i don't know like she's he he's called her like what has he called her he's called her like um um, virtually bankrupt in debt um and then he know he's he's made other sort of comments so it's kind of like the sniping back and forth and i and you know um sachi mentioned it she said that she does enjoy this brown on brown violence and a lot of people have been saying that they do 
they, a lot of Indians are kind of just like eating their popcorn and watching these two kind of go at it. And, and it does kind of remind us of like, you know, Indian people fighting because there's Indian people fighting about everything. So, you know, just like just the bickering it's, 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 and then um, I don't know if you picked up on it, but Sachi mentioned um, she had in parentheses, like, so there's this word in Hindi or in Urdu we call um, brothers. It's called Bhaiya. And uh, in, in Urdu, I use a certain word for my older sister and my younger siblings call me that like a version of that. And so a lot of, um, in Hindi, it's called Didi. So she said Bhaiya and Didi fighting amongst each other. So it's like brother and sister kind of fighting amongst each other. So there's like little words that Sachi puts into her story that a lot of Indians are going to get. And um, so, yeah, I think it's just this, like, you know, you're seeing two Indians. A lot of us probably never thought we would see Indians in a debate, let alone a Republican debate. And so, um, it, yeah, people are watching. Like, we we still, t- like, even if I, even if I don't want to pay attention to it, like, somebody will text me the next day, like I said, my sister did in this instance, and we'll tell, and that, or, you know, I'll, like, go online and I'll see an Indian comedian making fun of Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. And so, so yeah, if there's no way you can get away with it. Um, even if you're not a Republican, but if you're Indian, you're going to see something about, you're going to see a write-up about Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. I just saw something. I, I have to look for it as soon as I get off. It's basically about how um, they feel like they need to be the one Indian on stage. And it, it's like, there's this mentality where they can't be the two Indians on stage because you know, it, I guess it's like, oh, we're kind of like pitting it. We're like, they'll have to pick between one of us, you know? And so they're like, I should be the Indian on stage. So I don't know. I got to read that one. It just had something like this attitude where you can't have two on stage or something like that. So I don't know. I got to read that one. But I did read a Time Magazine article about kind of like fleshing out, like how wonderful it is to have two Indian Americans, but at the same time, their politics don't align with a lot of other Indians or different Indian groups. Well, I'm going to trot this theory out to you and get your response. Um, so there are two contrasting individuals, Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, she has uh, years of experience uh, in the political world. She's run for office before. She's held office before. She was the Trump's uh, ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, think about that for a moment. Uh, and uh, she was the governor of South Carolina. For that, I think she was a state rep. Can't remember. Um, uh, he's never held any office. Uh, he is more or less a celebrity and uh, made a lot of money off of capitalism. And I just put it that way because he didn't produce anything. He just made money off of capitalism. So good for him. Uh, and She's, a, what would you say? She's about 15 years older than he is, uh, something like that. A different, she's like a Gen X millennial yeah. type. Feel. Yeah, she's, she's, she's Gen X and he's and a millennial. He's a millennial. Yeah. And, and that political article mentioned that yeah. it's a generational divide. And uh, she represents what's left, what remains, I should say, of the George Bush Republicans. I, that's what I call Daddy Bush, really. They call them moderate Republicans, although they were not moderate to people like me, but whatever. And today, they are definitely uh, moderates in today's world. Uh, And so that Republican, that group of Republicans look to her as their hope to take the party back from MAGA, from Trump. And to me, he's like Donald Trump Jr. That's who he reminds me of. He really reminds me of Donald Trump Jr., 
Um, well, he's very. You know what he said? Well, he said he wanted to out Trump. Trump. Yes. Like that's what that's what his goal is to do. So. Yeah, Donald Trump Jr. in many ways tries to out Trump his daddy, uh, and with his tweets and his incendiary comments, etc. So I think on one level, she uh, he irritates her because she feels that he uh, has is jumping ahead of his turn. Uh, and uh, ruining her chances, and how dare he? And she knew little kids like him back home, you know. Uh, I think there's something personal to it on her part of resenting him for at such a young age doing something so audacious as to run for president. That's my uh, Freudian 10 cent analysis of it. Your thoughts? Yeah, and do you think that if he wasn't brown, she wouldn't feel the same way? Like, do you think the fact that he's Indian definitely plays into it? Yes. Um, like, hey, you didn't pay your dues like I did. Yes. And you just kind of <laughs> swept in, don't have any political experience, and all of a sudden are, you know, I, I think it's questionable whether he's a star or not, but he's definitely appealed to a certain group of people. And he's like, you know, he every time he comes on, people are talking about him. I, I, I told this to you, Ben, when he showed up in May to uh, to talk to a group of uh, Southsiders about the migrant crisis. Um, I remember I asked my desk if anybody was sending anybody and they're like, yeah, why they, they were kind of brushed it off. They go, he's not like anybody, any anybody that um, anybody really takes seriously. And like, you know, and I'm not saying that everybody takes him seriously, like people like us, but like, you know, now he's like on this like national arena and uh, it was kind of like, oh, who cares, you know, but it, it, you know, it just, he just kind of took off, right? Even if, even if, even if you think that he's not doing that well, there are people paying attention to him because he's saying, he's saying certain things that Donald Trump wouldn't even say. So it's like, he is appealing to that crowd and, um, and I do think I do think I like I, I like you said, Ben, I think it's like I think maybe there's a part of her that's thinking like, OK, Republican voters, they have two Indians to choose from. It, it's one thing if they're all white guys to choose from. Right. And so having two Indians to choose from, it's like now it makes her chances slimmer because it's like, OK, which brown person do I go with? Because, yeah, so so I think she's thinking of that mathematically because her and him are, you know, are being lumped together because they are Indians. And so, yeah, I think, I think she, she probably does feel that way that, and, and some of the, the way she feels probably, probably is ignited by the fact that Vivek is also Indian. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's how I view it. All right, let's move on. And we're going to get to uh, Rashida Tlaib and uh, the censure of her, uh, but before I do, I'm going to, a, a little uh, frivolity, you mentioned this, and so uh, I'm going to go to, where is this? I'm going to find this. This was a New York Times story. Sometimes I just got to wonder about the New York Times. Um, this was a New York Times story, which I sent to you, uh, and it had to do with Ivanka Trump's appearance uh, in front, uh, in, the, in a court. Uh, her father is on trial. Well, it's it's now the uh, sentencing part of a trial. A judge has found him guilty of fraud. He's essentially keeping two sets of books to pay. So he would have to pay lower property taxes while getting a more uh, more favorable uh, interest on loans. 
So he kept two sets of books saying they were the property he owned was worth more when he was going to the banks for the loans, and it was worth less when he was going to the New York uh, tax assessor, whoever, however they do it in New York. Uh, and uh, so he's a guy's a freaking crook and a fraud. This <laughs> is MAGA. Even you know it. So she has to show up uh, because you know she's uh, works for Trump or used to. Uh, and this was a I'm recording from the New York Times, and then I would love your reaction as um, a journalist. And you've dedicated close to 30 years of your life as a professional journalist, a writer, a reporter, a columnist, an editor. Okay. This is in the New York Times. Get your thoughts on this. Here we go. <clears throat> a dramatic reading of the New York Times. The guest star of the week was Ivanka Trump, making a reluctant return to center stage after announcing on Instagram last week that she was stepping out of the political limelight. She was the focus of this week's final scene, flying up from her home in Florida, emerging from the bowels of a black town car to make her entrance in a navy wool coat and navy pantsuit a black leather tote clutched in one hand, tiny pearl studs in her ear, and with her blonde hair falling in soft waves around her face, the picture of gentle, pulled-together professionalism and goodwill. This was a quote in the New York Times. God, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I will allow you the floor to comment on your thoughts as a veteran journalist, years in the game, <laughs> this this idolatry under the guise of journalism in the New York Times. Take it away, Romano. Okay, first of all, I am someone who pays attention to fashion in the courts. And, uh, you know, we both did for Gwyneth Paltrow's trial. A lot of people did because she was wearing really expensive clothes that looked really bad. Like it was called like... I forgot there was a certain word for it. Okay, so I've covered court trials, and this is definitely like secondary. Um, there was one case where um, there was this guy who ran over the guy that was driving his cab. The guy's name was Michael Jackson, and uh, he had he was wearing a Burberry tie. Um, and sometimes I do mention what people are wearing in court because there are certain things that I pick up on as someone who follows fashion. Um, and so I remember I, I nudged the Tribune reporter next to me and I'm like, is that a Burberry tie? Because Burberry has a certain pattern. And he's like, what? Like, he didn't know what I was talking about. He was like, what are you talking about? Like, he was just kind of like confused. So I didn't even like I was like, I can't confirm it with like nobody else is like corroborating my like, you know, what I noticed. And it would have been like a little detail. I wouldn't have written about fashion like that. And then like there, there was times when Jennifer Hudson this is Jennifer Hudson, the Academy um, Award-winning actress and singer. Um, her, sadly, tragically, her um, her sister's uh, former husband had uh, killed uh, her family members, and she was in court. And I remember she would come and design her, like, okay, so there's Christian, Christian Louboutin shoes. Like, you can tell they're Christian Louboutin if they have red heels. And so she came in one day, and I, I, I tweeted – I. They were encouraging us to tweet. So I would tweet in between and say what she was wearing. It wasn't a long like description. And one time she came in with a long sweater and those are called dusters. And the Tribune reporter made fun of me. And he's like, what, what the hell is a duster? And so I would, I would say like what she was wearing sometimes, but very little. Only I just say, look, oh, Jennifer Hudson walked in today. She's wearing this, but that wouldn't be the 
just in my tweet. It would just be like part of it. And I didn't focus on it. But yeah, that's a little much. Like um, the Daily Mail went even further. They like wrote down what kind of suit it was. It was a Carolina Carolina Herrera suit. I think it was a $5,000 suit. And she had a Chanel. I think her bag was Chanel. I got to look at the picture and I'll be able to tell if it's a Chanel bag. And so um, altogether, I think her outfit was like $11,500 or something like that <laughs> like with her accessories and shoes. So um, I don't know how much her earrings were, but this is according to the Daily Mail. So, yeah, I that I wouldn't like if I was covering um, Ivanka Trump, like I probably wouldn't mention that. Like I would probably say she was wearing a, you know, a suit. But I wouldn't, you know, and then I would say, like, you know, I probably would say Chanel bag, but I don't think I would write about her long tresses or, <laughs> you know, des- describing, like, you know, I, I would probably say she was wearing a black pantsuit. And, and if I noticed that the, I, if I noticed the C's on her Chanel bag, I probably would have mentioned the Chanel bags. I mean, I think it's kind of like you want to, me- you mentioned some of that stuff sometimes because it could, it could kind of, color like you know what what you know you're you're talking about donald trump and a lot of money and like his you know corruption so you know you could kind of i could kind of excuse some of it but not all of it like i would just have like my i wouldn't even have like i would just say that Donald, you know ivanka trump took the stand um you know in a black pantsuit or navy blue pantsuit and then later i just mentioned the chanel bag but i would kind of weave it into the actual like you know, court testimony about when she testified. I wouldn't have like a paragraph oh my describing God. with the flowing describing. Uh, yeah. With her flowing hair. tresses. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would go into that. I mean, because sometimes like even like when I was covering things at um, criminal courts, like sometimes people would be wearing like, I mean, like some stories I would be doing and somebody would be wearing something like super ridiculous. And so, you know, there's no way you could not look at that and think that. I mean, unless you don't want to be making fun of someone because there are people who are. um, We're definitely like, um, you know, disadvantaged. They can't like be wearing they're not going to be wearing an $11,000 suit. So. You know, you have to be sensitive to that. But sometimes I'm going to be wearing a shirt that said something ridiculous. And, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, my God, I got to I got to put that in. Right. So I would I, w- I would sometimes mention that. Like if somebody come on, if somebody was dressed like Prince in, in court or like looked like, you know, had a look like he was dressed up like Michael Jackson, you would notice that. Right. And so you would add that in. So I think sometimes like it adds color to the story. But something like that, like. Ivanka, like I would put some things in, but it would be weaved into the actual court story. It wouldn't be like, oh, here's like a whole essay on what she was wearing. I wouldn't do that. But Gwyneth Paltrow, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow, people did like what she was wearing. People did that with Winona Ryder when she was in court for shoplifting because she was wearing Prada a lot of times. And so like the the designers who made her clothes, like they became famous. You know, I think, I mean, Prada is obviously already famous, but she wore certain things that um, people started wanting and stuff like that. So, um, you know, sometimes fashion is relevant to it. I think with this, it's like, yeah, you're going to notice, like, obviously these people have money. They ripped a lot of people off. You know what I mean? And like, so I, I think, I think, I think it can be somewhat relevant. I mean, it's like when Melania, remember when she wore that shirt um, or that shirt that, um, was it a coat and said, ask me if I care. or I don't really care. Like when it had to, when it came to like some migrant issues, yes, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're going to notice that she's wearing that. Right. 
Like sometimes, yeah, you're, what you're wearing is not going to matter. I mean, if we saw Donald Trump in a jogging suit showing up in court, <laughs> like, you know, you know that we would all talk about it and that, you know, there's no way you can, you cannot do the story without talking about, you know, what he's wearing. But, you know, with him, he's like always wearing the same thing. But, you know, if let, let's say he came in with a like a crazy or comb over than usual, then we would kind of notice that. And, but, yeah, I think that that's I think that's a little excessive. I have to tell you that's excessive. But as someone who did, has covered court, you know, sometimes you do mention what they're wearing. But, yeah, you can't like I don't, like I said, I don't want to belittle someone. There's some people who come to court and they're like they're very disadvantaged. They come from disadvantaged backgrounds. They're not going to be dressed in a three-piece suit or anything like that so you know you have to be sensitive i don't i, I think as long as you're not you know but i, I think people people probably want to know what ivanka's wearing i think you know because she she is you know she did have a fashion line and um she's someone that people have been paying attention to especially since she was supposed to be one of the she was supposed to be the one that puts donald trump on the right track and she clearly didn't her and her husband uh and uh in defense of the New York Times, which what I'm about to say is not really a defense of the New York Times, but because uh, <laughs> when you think about it, this was an article dedicated to the fashion look of the Trumps. And so it was not just Ivanka, but her two knuckleheaded brothers who also testified. And I, it was talking in glowing terms of how the Trumps dress. So I guess you could say in defense of the New York Times, it's appropriate that they be talking about how she's dressed, but then... That just goes to show you where the New York Times is. They they're concentrating. <laughs> they're just like glorifying in in many ways uh, <laughs> these people uh, who are who have who's use less than a what ethical uh, business strategies uh, anyway. So it's like talking at length about John Gotti. I don't know if you remember him as long ago. He was a gangster. They called him the Dapper Don. Uh, because he was so well dressed, and they, oh my God, look at John Gotti! Yeah, the guy's like murdered people and stuff, and you're going on and on. All right, um, let's get to something that's very serious. Uh, and uh, we talked at length. Uh, I urge everybody to check out Romana's last conversation. Our last conversation, we talked at length about uh, Israel and Palestine and the war in Gaza. Uh, the onslaught continues. It's it's um, heartbreaking on so many levels. Uh, and um, last week, I've lost track of time, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, the congresswoman from Detroit, Democrat, uh, was officially censored uh, by the, um, the House of Representatives, her fellow congresspeople, uh, because she used the term, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Uh, and it was a very, um, I found a gripping uh, uh, congressional hearing on the matter uh, where she testified and many of her supporters testified and the other side uh, testified as well. And then the vote came. 22 Democrats joined almost all the Republicans uh, in censoring. I would give my opinion and then Romana will take the floor and give hers. I um, would never, I would have definitely voted uh not to censor her. Uh, first of all, it's an infringement on her. I mean, I thought MAGA cared so much about free speech, uh, but I just, it's an infringement. Uh, I think that um, there is a, uh, a discussion to be had about what that phrase means uh, and how it could be 
uh, exceedingly triggering uh, to uh, Jewish people, particularly uh, pe- Jewish people who support Israel. So I understand that. Um, I think she gave a very compassionate uh, response to, uh, regarding that and what she means by it. Uh, and she showed a lot of compassion uh, for the Israelis who were slaughtered by Hamas on October 7th. Uh, she certainly showed, in my humble opinion, more compassion to the Israelis who have been slaughtered on October 7th by Hamas than many of Israel's supporters show toward the Palestinians who are dying every day uh, with the Israel bombardment. Uh, so I thought it was really unfair. I thought it did a dis- disservice uh, to Rashid Talib, And I definitely, if I, for what it's worth, which would never happen, that me in Congress, <laughs> which is even more laughable than me in the city council, uh, I would never have voted uh, to censor her uh, for that. And in many ways, I find her a role model because um, I feel she speaks with great passion for both sides uh, in her own way. So that's my take on it. Uh, Ramana, the floor is yours. Well, you know what my take is on it, <laughs> but um, it's pretty much in line alignment with yours. And um, we could probably discuss all day what from the river to the sea means for different people. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, how many times have elected leaders said anything that's offensive to Muslim Americans? I mean... I could write a whole book on that probably and none of them have been censored. And I, I just think that, um, you know, the vitriol against her, I mean, anybody, her and a lot of people on the squad, it's like when they speak their mind, they're, they're, they're totally treated much differently than a lot of things, you know, and then a lot of things or a lot of people say that are much worse, you know, and, and we could debate about like, you know, how hurtful like the slogan is and for some people and how it isn't. And I know we could talk about this all day and yeah, if they want to have a discussion on it, have a discussion on it. But it's like, you know, as soon as I heard about it, I looked at the 22 Democrats to see who was on there. And I saw that Brad Schneider um, who represents most of the North shore, I believe um, had uh, voted for censoring her. So I, I thought, I just thought from the get-go since October 7th, um, I know there was a Fox News reporter that had chased her down and basically kept asking her if she condemns the Hamas attack. And I think that's just wrong on so many levels because I can tell you as um, someone who's Muslim, for a long time, I mean, it's kind of slowed down now. Like whenever there was like an attack overseas and it was, it was carried out by a Muslim, like people wanted me to condemn it. Like they wanted me, like just me as a person. Like why am I, like I have nothing to do with what happened in XYZ country. You know what I mean? And it's and it's just it's just really offensive. Like I don't feel like anybody who has family members in Israel is asked to condemn what's happening in Gaza right now. And in clearly she condemns what happens, but why does she have to like go out of her way because I'm like reporter chasing her and asking her to condemn these attacks? It's just, I just think it's insane. I, I think there's a double standard. And, um, you know, a couple of days ago, did you hear about what happened in Florida? Like there was like a discussion in, I guess it was like, I don't know, what would you call it? Uh, the, I guess it was a Florida, Florida Senate session. They were have, talking about a possible possibility of a ceasefire. And then there was this um, 
um, leader um, or, you know, she's state representative, Angie Nixon, I believe. And she said that she said we're at 10,000 dead Palestinians. How many will be enough? And then you hear someone yell in the background and someone said all of them. That was a Republican uh, state representative, Michelle Saltzman. That's what they say. That's who she was identified with. And um, there's been a couple articles about it, but I don't see that uproar um, about her, like saying something like that, that could be offensive to many Palestinian Americans uh, and, and other people across the country. And I don't see any sort of like demand that, you know, she needs to be quiet. I don't even know who, I don't know who, I don't know who Michelle Saltzman was. So until like, you know, I heard about it, but I'm just saying like, you know, like people like Rashida Tlaib, like everybody who knows, knows who she is because, you know, even when she doesn't say anything, she's vilified. So I, I think it's embarrassing that she was censored. She's the only Palestinian American um, in Congress. And this is the way you treat her, whether or not you think agree with her slogans. There's a, like I said, there's a lot of offensive things that a lot of Congress people have said and nothing happens to them. In fact, they're, it's pretty much normalized. There's a lot of language that they say that are offensive to other people. And it's, it's just, it's just kind of kind of like brushed off, brushed aside or not even paid attention to. So yeah, I agree with you, Ben. I, I, I listened to her, um, I listened to her speech too, and you know she said she's not going to be silenced. So I think she's, I, I think she's standing strong. And uh, you know there have been people who are, I think there's like, was there like twenty six people who were censored in like the history of like I don't know U.S. politics. I don't know, I don't know what the number is, but you know I, someone had pointed out, but I don't know if this is true or not. I have to look it up. Um, you know someone spoke out against slavery at one point and they could have been censored like a long time ago. So, you know, sometimes people who are on, who are asking for the right things or calling for the right things, you know, she's concerned about her family members. She does have relatives in, in West Gaza. I don't know if they're affected by, you know, I don't know if she's had any family members, you know, that were killed or injured in the siege, but you know, she obviously has a connection to this land. And for her to not feel passionate about it, you just want her to shut up. It's it's kind of, it's it's really sad because there's a lot of things that have been said about Palestinians by a lot of elected leaders. I mean, we have Joe Biden, who like is basically giving Netanyahu a free pass about what he does. And I don't know if you've seen the kind of things that Netanyahu has been tweeting. And I mean, we could... We could tell Netanyahu to shut up, but we're not. And so, you know, he said something. He made it, he he took this down, but he had a tweet that said, "This is a war against the children of lightness and the children of darkness." Like, what does that mean? Like, is that like an excuse for like why he's bombarding and you know killing over four thousand kids and you know Palestinian kids? So it's like we can go on and on. There's a lot of like elected leaders um, in Netanyahu's government, and Rashida Tlaib said she goes, "I'm not going." At, after Israelis, I'm going after Netanyahu and his government. She, you know, she has stated that. And so um, I guess you can't criticize certain countries <laughs> in, in the United States. Um, you know, people have said stuff about, you know, lies about Iraq, weapons of mass destructions, and we created a whole war about that. And nothing happened to those people. So I don't know. I, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think it, it, it's, it's shameful what happened. And, uh, you know, I, I hope more people recognize that.
Because I don't think that not that many Americans recognize about why it's wrong. Well, I'm um, I'm kind of realistic about most Americans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> my guess is that most Americans, most Americans are not really paying attention to what's going on uh, in Gaza. Uh, most Americans don't have a connection. Uh, so. Jews are a minority in this country. Palestinian Americans are a minority in this country. So, uh, you know, and the left uh, that uh, is supportive of uh, Palestinian rights, it's a minority in this country. So it's a furious issue uh, among people on the left, among uh, Jewish Americans uh, and Palestinian Americans and maybe to a large degree Muslim Americans. But by and large, I think most Americans are just going through life. Uh, and if you're, you're right, you're right. If you're a Jewish American right now, this is painful. This is so hard. And I'm not asking people to feel sorry for Jewish Americans. I'm just telling you, this is really hard on so many levels. Uh, and if you're a Palestinian American, man, it, you got relatives over there people dying every day you wake up with dread and it's i had a a gentleman i know you know him he's a friend of yours or i don't know if he's a friend but you know him. Uh, pushkar uh, sharma was on the show yesterday and i urge people to listen to him uh he used to work for the united nations in gaza he was in the middle he's a more or less a diplomat working with israelis uh and palestinians and the way, he explains so succinctly, Romana, in my humble opinion, the political game that's being played by uh, Netanyahu uh, and Hamas and how they're like sort of bizarre dance partners in this thing uh, and how they're manipulating public opinion and it's just feeding this cycle of violence that we can't break out of. Uh, it is, if you think about it, you'll start crying. And it's just heartbreaking. Um, and I know, like, a lot of my lefty friends, they don't get it. They don't get it from a Jewish perspective at all. They they just don't understand it. And I know a lot of my Jewish friends don't get it at all from the Palestinian perspective at all. And it's just like people talking past each other, talking hate at each other. And every day, I just want to cease fire. I just want to, let's just get to that first stage, Ramana. You know what I mean? The first stage is to see, we can worry about the negotiation. Can we just stop bombing? And, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And, I, and, and like when I'm, people are talking about a humanitarian pause, it's just like, it's not a humanitarian, it's not human, humanitarian. A ceasefire would be humanitarian. And I, I, um, I have to tell you as a Muslim American, um, you know, all pal, you know, one of the things to point out is all Palestinians aren't Muslim. Like seventy, like percent of them are. A lot of them are Christian too. But this is a issue that you know a lot of Muslims feel strongly about too. And and you know, um, I'm sure like the we're hearing about anti-Semitism on the rise, Islamophobia is on the rise. And I can tell you, Ben, like we feel like a lot of Muslims that I know, um, a lot of journalists are feeling, a lot of Muslim Arab journalists are feeling it. We feel like it's 9-11 again. And, you know, we feel like 
we feel like Biden's not listening to us. Um, you know, we feel like, okay, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about Muslims. I've read articles about Muslims who are working in politics and they just want to quit. Like in Biden's cabinet, you know, they're just like, I just, they just feel like, are you even listening to us? And and right now, like a lot of Muslims feel like, well, you want us, the Democrats want us to, po- you know, they pose us as like, you know, they put us in their like pictures and their brochures, but when it comes down to it, they're not listening to what we're saying and it's just like falling on deaf ears. So there's just a lot of tension. And I, yeah, if I tell you, Ben, like I have, you know, I, we, I talked to you about, I went to like a mostly, mostly uh, Jewish school. I grew up in a mostly Jewish neighborhood. The house we moved into was formerly a house owned by um, a Jewish family. And it turned out to be a doctor that worked with my dad. He was retiring. My dad was starting his career. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not saying I completely, I, I, I do try to understand, um, you know, Jewish history. I probably learned about the Holocaust a lot more earlier than a lot of people did because of our student population. I've been to both. I've been to the Holocaust uh, Museum in Skokie. I went to the National Holocaust Museum in D.C. And I told you, Ben, this would be very painful for you, but I've been to Auschwitz. Like, I just try to learn and remind myself, like, what has been done to the Jewish community. And I try to keep an open mind. Um, but I know me and some of my former classmates would not agree eye to eye. I'm seeing some of the stuff they're posting on uh, about Israel and they're very staunch advocates and, you know, are, are, you know, feel very connected to Israel. And so I'm like, I, there are some people I can have a conversation with some of my former classmates. I can probably have a conversation with one of them reached out to me and asked me how I was doing. And, you know, I asked her how she was doing. We went back and forth and, it was it was a pleasant conversation, but there's some people I think that I would not be able to have a conversation with. I think I think I don't know if we'd kill each other, but it would be it would be it would be pretty. Um, it, it, I'm I'm not saying it would get ugly, but we'd be both passionate. I've been very passionate about this, and I've been very upset, and um, I just hope that the death. And that toll, the destruction, it just, I just want it to stop. It's just, it's just sickening. I'm just getting so tired of hearing about, you know, and, and it's like, oh, I'm like privileged because I'm like sitting here like, you know, oh, I, I don't want to read about this anymore. And it's like, I can't imagine what it's like to have lost someone in, in this, in this. So it's like, I just hope it's, I hope there's a ceasefire. I don't know why. Why, like, how much is enough? And I do think that's a good question. And, you know, Joe Biden was in town yesterday and you saw that there was like a thousand people um, outside protesting. And so I don't know how our government administration, I thought I read somewhere that there's cables, there's this un, un like cable that was talked about on CNN about how a lot of Middle East countries are just like, well, Joe Biden, you just need to like, I don't know why, I don't know when is when it's going to be enough for, um, for Netanyahu to stop. So yeah, I agree with you, Ben. I am calling for a ceasefire, but I don't know if that matters no, really. I don't know. I've been calling for a ceasefire since, uh, from day one. <laughs> yeah, day I know. One. We knew and what no, would happen, right? I don't have a lot of sway. Uh, I don't either. Yeah, so on the Ben Jarofsky show, but, uh, my little podcast here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, and, uh, I predict that we're, we're running out of time, so we can't take this deep dive. But uh, Rosanna Rodriguez, uh, Alderman Rosanna Rodriguez, tweeted out uh, uh, 
the river to the sea uh and palestine will be free and uh ray low right on time uh tweeted back ottoman raymond lopez uh she should be removed as the chair of the human relations committee commission uh committee excuse me in the chicago city council so i was like i read that and I, this is right before we um came on the air and i go up oh, this is coming back to the city council which is probably the least uh equipped body in the world uh to debate international affairs of any kind uh in israel palestine or india uh, as we discussed uh, earlier so guys you know just can you just stick to i don't know finding a home for the immigrants maybe that would be a good idea putting black people to work i don't know maybe that would be a good idea uh, but so I got a feeling, Ramada, this will be uh, still going on for us to discuss in a couple of weeks uh, on the local level as well. And you'll probably write a column. If I know Ramana, I feel that's going to be your next column. Am I correct in that? I, I, I may I may write something about it. I was just um, I was just talking to Lorraine. I'm like, I might write about it again tomorrow, like some angle. I mean, um, I think one of the important things to note also is there's been over 35 journalists that have been killed in Gaza and over two dozen um, UN workers. And I think that's something that's getting lost in this. And yesterday there was a Israeli official who basically equated um, journalists with um, terrorists. So, (laughs) you know, these are, these are, it's important. I know a lot of, uh, you know, like you said, like a lot of people, a lot of young journalists are pointing out, they're like, why aren't more journalists up in arms about this? If this was another regime, we would say something like, oh, they're killing journalists. And there are a lot of journalists in Gaza. They're the ones who are relaying these stories. And once you get rid of them, who's going to be telling the stories of the Gazans or any Palestinians? So I don't know. It's it's I'll have I'll have I may have an angle on it. If not, I, I will come up with something else. Maybe I'll write about Vivek. Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. <laughs> yeah, Lorraine, Lorraine, my boss, Lorraine, wants me to write about Vivek Ramaswamy. She, like, she loved my Vivek Ramaswamy column. She's like, you got to write about him again. I'm like, I'll, fi- I'll find something about him soon. Yeah, he, uh, he'll, do, he'll do something. To, he's you know, fading fast, just so you know. You better hurry yeah, up and I know, write about I know. him. Is, his, his time has come and gone. He's, everyone... But you, you got to, Ben, I know you pay attention to Indian comics, but, I mean, there's been so many jokes about him <laughs> and, like, his hair and, like, it's, it's pretty funny. So, okay, we'll, we'll end on a little... Uh, brighter note um the only thing i really follow on it well it's not the only thing but the two main things i follow on instagram are sports and comedy and i follow a lot of comics and uh, ramada's on my list of people that i send uh, certain comic bits to i sent her one from um a living color uh which i just i watch it jim carrey is so good in this bit with tommy davidson uh, which I've watched a million times. And then I sent you the one, which one? Did, uh, no, you sent me one. It was hilarious, man. The Latino comedian talking about how <laughs> there's a reason Latino people don't like white people's food. I was dying, man. That was hilarious. No, it's really funny. I have to say, I'll be quick as possible. I thought it was funny. So I sent it to you because I know you would think it's funny. And I sent it to Mick. My husband, he's because under the bus, here we go. Because, yeah, no, but then Mick, no, because Mick, then he didn't like get what he's just like, he knew it was a comic bit, but he doesn't get it. He was just like, I'm like, you know how many times we've had this conversation? Because I've told him, I told him, I go, white people food does not have any, I go, I like, okay, I like pizza, I like hamburgers, I like steak, but I go, 
the average white person food is not very flavorful to me. And I was like, telling him like a lot of things just are too bland for me. I mean, I mean, it, it just, it's just the fact. And I just told him, I go, and I, I, I've been like during the, I learned how to cook India, some Indian food during the pandemic. So I cook Indian food. And now Mick even says like, when he goes to restaurants, he's like, oh God, everything tastes so bland. I'm like, exactly. I go, this is, and so, yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty funny because it, it, it mirrored the conversations that I've had. And like, he, he doesn't, he's not on Instagram that much. And he doesn't know about like how comics have like little bits and so he's like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought it was funny, but I didn't get why you sent. Why did you send that to me? And I'm like, <laughs> it, was, it was funny. It was funny. I'm sorry, Mick. I got to go with and, 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 we, and, and I think I'm pretty sure Mick did have taco. You know, the guy talks about how white people try, you know, made Taco Tuesday and got all organized about it yeah, and it like hilarious. made it a day. And, and he was just like, yeah, I don't put on my American Eagle shirt and say it's Meatloaf Martha's. I was like, that was pretty funny no, it's so, good. You know, i mean not everybody is a great cook and that's not the only thing and by the way you know who's the biggest one of the biggest food snobs is romana if you tell oh, romana this indian restaurant she goes my mother's cooking is better than that indian restaurant I'm like, yeah, I'm i a- i <laughs> i am i am i am kind of a food snob because I I don't like, you could take kind I mean, out of that sense no i mean i mean if you're gonna eat something you might as well make it good you know <laughs> so wait, I mean? about, do you my, even my, go to indian restaurants or no i don't because because my mom like i honestly like okay this is our theory okay this is what me and my indian friends and other south asian friends have said and it's true so my friends who like indian re- who eat out at actual indian restaurants and go to devon and like can get food like from these restaurants like our theory is that their mom or their parents don't cook good and it's true it's like they're the only ones anybody who has like a parent who's like a bad cook like they love the indian restaurants and anybody who has a mom that cooks really well and cooks really good indian food nobody likes in eating it in, in an indian restaurant like none of us would step foot in one and you can even ask mick like i would tell him i'm like i'm not going to indian restaurant with you i told him that before we got married and uh now that he's had that he eats home cooked Indian food, he's like, yeah, and I, I kind of know what you mean. Okay, so just saying, it's not that way with all ethnic groups. I'm gonna tell you right now, there is uh, a spicy hot Chinese restaurant in downtown Evanston that I love to death. And oh, which one is it? Peppercorn. It's spicy. You gotta like spicy. If you don't like spicy, don't go there. Okay. I love spicy. Okay, they don't play. They put it spicy. And uh, my wife and I, we love going there. Uh, but, you know, it's just kind of a schlep to get to downtown Evanston, so we don't go there a lot. But uh, you go there. There are so many Chinese-American uh, students from Northwestern in there. So it's the exact opposite of what you're describing. You know what I'm saying? That well, so well. Good. I'm hungry now. Well, <laughs> Chinese food in China is different than Chinese food in the United States. I have to tell you that. But but that that is a good indication that a restaurant is good if like especially restaurant that caters to a certain group of people like ethnic, you know, ethnic background. Yeah. Like if I see an Indian restaurant and it's just a bunch of white people, I know it sucks. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm according sorry. To you, it'll never be Indian people because they think the food sucks compared to mom. No, <laughs> because no, you know, I, I even talked. So I was talking to this attorney when I was at the courthouse. He was a defense attorney. And even he like this one Indian restaurant where white people, every white person I know, like would mention, I won't say. And he's like, oh, my God, that Indian restaurant, it's where good is. Good means white. So, like, he was just like, oh, my God. And we were both laughing about it. This is a restaurant on Devon. And it's like every single white person, like, talks about it. 
And so, and, and I have to also tell you that there was a restaurant, I forgot where, somebody on Twitter tweeted it. It was an Indian restaurant or it was a Chinese restaurant. It could have been a Chinese restaurant. And it basically on the menu, it had white spicy, like white person spicy. And it had like Chinese person <laughs> spicy. So I'm, I'm just saying like, there's, there's different types Wait, of people. They literally said have. white people. Yeah. It was really funny. Like they were like serious. They were like, because they know like, you know, <laughs> like even, even some of my mom, see one time, one of my mom, um, our family friends made food from Mick and she's just like, Oh, I didn't make it that spicy. Don't worry. He can eat it. And I'm like, no, I go, trust me, I make things spicy because I, I like I actually like things more spicier than a lot of other Indian people do. Like my older sister doesn't really like really spicy food. And I'm like my mom. I like it. It can be I put it, raise it to level 10. And I go, no, I go, I made Mick get used to it. Mick, Mick claims that he was into spicy food before I came along. But then I'm like, then how come everything else tastes bland to you now? I don't believe it. I go, it's probably like light. It's like white spicy. That's what you can handle. And then, and then, and then, yeah, it's pretty funny. I got to find it. I'll, I'll find it once. Everybody, yeah, a lot of in, in Asians, East Asians, South Asians, we all get a kick out of it. We're like, there needs to be something on all these menus so we can warn people. So what kind of like spice tolerance level they have. Well, I'll, we'll go to this uh, uh, Chinese restaurant in downtown Evanston. We'll get it spicy and see how you and Mick handle it. Uh, and it better brings, uh, it's absolutely delicious. I'm, and like I said, I'm so hungry just thinking about it right now. Uh, and, uh, the good things in life, my beloved hometown, Evanston's got some great restaurants in it. So who would have thought that would ever happen, uh, from what it was like back in the day. Okay. Ramana, but it was nothing in Evanston worth eating, uh, except for Jack's mainstream cafe at old Evanstonians. Remember that for you get platter of eggs. All right, Ramada Hussein uh, is dear friend of this show, dear friend of mine, uh, columnist for the Sun-Times, editorial writer for the Sun-Times. The smart, really smart editorials in the Sun-Times are the ones she wrote. Don't blame her for the other ones. Uh, and uh, her columns are excellent once a month uh, in uh, my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. Thanks, thanks so much, Ramada. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. All right, that's Ramada Hussein. I'm Ben Trotsky. Take care, everybody. 